topic that many people ask me about, and especially either before or after coming back from Israel. And the question is, why pray for Jerusalem? Why is there such an emphasis on Jerusalem and praying? Well, uh, first of all, the scriptures say that. And I'd like for us to start. And by the way, we don't have our, uh, because Jennifer's not here, we don't have the slides up here. You know, uh, but in Psalm 122, you can kind of look at your device or your Bibles. It says, verse 6, it says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. And then it goes on and says, may peace be within your walls and prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brothers and my friends, I will now say, may peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. But it's not just there. It's many other places too. Probably one of the clearest places is in Isaiah 62. Isaiah 62, verse 1. It says, for Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not keep quiet until her righteousness goes forth like brightness and her salvation like a torch that is burning. And then verse 6 and 7. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have appointed watchmen. All day and all night they will never keep silent. You who remind the Lord, take no rest for yourselves and give him no rest until he establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Now, if it was just Psalm 122, you could say, well, maybe he was talking about what was going on at that particular time. But with Isaiah 62, it's obvious that he's speaking of in the future a lot. In fact, there's many similar passages, especially in the Psalms, in Isaiah, in some other prophetic books like Zechariah. Jesus talks about it. So does Romans, so does Ephesians, so does the book of Revelation. That there is something unique or special about Jerusalem or Israel and that God's people need to be praying. We need to be focused in on that. Now, I'm not going to do a full study on all that God has for Jerusalem, all that he has for Israel this morning. Maybe another time, but that would be multi messages. But it is a legitimate question. Why pray for Jerusalem? We're told to pray for Jerusalem. Actually, sometimes it says for Zion. Sometimes it says for Israel. Why is that? Don't other nations need our prayers just as much? Aren't there other nations to pray for? Aren't we supposed to be a house of prayer for all the nations? And the answer is yes, that's true. We are to be praying for all the nations. But Isaiah 62 does seem to raise the level of what we need to be focused in on. It talks about something more, being watchmen on the wall and to be constantly praying day and night. It doesn't say that about the other nations. So what's the big deal about Israel about Jerusalem you know by the way I've even had other pastors ask me this sometimes they'll say Mike I don't get it I mean uh, why Israel why why do you want to go to Israel and uh, and so uh, 
this is a legitimate question. I know that some of you probably have that as well. And, uh, and maybe going along with that, not only praying for Israel, but why visit? After all, we are talking about more trips for more people to visit. And I know a lot of you have already said, count me in on the next one or count me in in two years or something like that. And, uh, and I've been jotting some of this down and we'll be getting back with you. So today I want to try to answer some of these questions. Okay, first of all, just a couple things to keep in mind. When the Bible speaks of Jerusalem, Zion, Israel, sometimes old Jacob, daughters of Jerusalem, daughters of Zion, God's people, there's a lot of overlap. In fact, a lot of times, not always, but there, these expressions are used interchangeably. It's a theme that runs all the way through the scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament. And by the way, often the church is thrown in there too because some of the passages that talk about Zion, you think, well, wait a minute. Is that really talking about the church? And the answer is sometimes it is. So it just, it, it makes it kind of confusing. And uh, so it's important to kind of realize there is some overlap. And again, we don't have time to explain all the differences today, but just know that yes, there's, there's overlap. A second thing, we need to realize is that throughout human history, when it comes to his people, God has two purposes that he's been tracking throughout the centuries. One of it, one of those purposes concerns the chosen people of the Old Testament, the Jewish people, the descendants, the direct descendants of Abraham. He, he says in Zechariah, they are the apple of my eye. And then there's the land of Israel. And not so much about the government. The land of Israel seems to be something kind of unique and special too. But if you read the scriptures, there's a lot of unfinished uh, purpose or a lot of promises that have not yet been fulfilled. So all through the centuries, God's tracking this. He's got certain things he's wanting to do. And then there's also the church made up of all the nations of the world. And by the way, when the scriptures speak of nations, a more literal translation would be, especially in the Greek, is peoples. So it's not just countries, it's nations like the peoples of the world. And like for countries, there's, I think, 192, 193, kind of changes every year, and depending on who what people describe, what, what people call a country. And some people say, oh no, that's part of this country. And you know, like Russia says, Ukraine is part of them. You know, so it's kind of, it's, it, it gets complicated. But let's say this, 200 at the most countries. And yet, when it comes to various peoples of the world that may have their own language, their own culture, there's about, again, depending on how you define it, somewhere between five and 7,000. That's a lot more, isn't it? And uh, so the church is going to be made up and is being made up of people from all peoples, all nations, all tongues. And yes, they are chosen also by God. And he has big purposes, big purposes for the church as well. So not only is he working a long history 
with Israel and the land of Israel and the Jews, but he's also doing the same thing with all the other nations in the form of the church. Okay, so you got that? Now, a lot of people, a lot of Christians, they tend to kind of emphasize one or the other. was the church, not the Jews. The Jews had their chance. We, they rejected him, so now God's moved on. Well, it doesn't really say that. Then there's some people who are kind of, oh, it's all about the Jews. Yeah, the church is kind of a temporary thing, you know, but it's really the Jews in the land of Israel where God's, you know, focused at. And really, if you look at it biblically, in the end, and this is important, not understand, not understood, but his purposes for both all of a sudden in the end of days becomes woven together and uh, into one master purpose. And it's called preparing the bride of Christ because it's obvious the bride of Christ, if you read a lot of places, it's the church. But then you read some places, especially in the Old Testament, no, it's Israel or God's people who are looking to him there. And so there's a merger going on here. Romans 11, Ephesians, especially chapter 2, parts of the book of Revelation speak of this merger of two purposes. Okay, so I'm just kind of giving a little bit of background here. Now, visiting Israel it's good for many reasons. It's good to get to know the place because it's easier to pray when you've been exposed to it. You know, if someone tells me to pray for a missionary, for example, I've never seen him, never seen a picture or anything. It's good for me to pray, but sometimes I don't really, it's harder for me to do it. But if I have an opportunity to, to meet this missionary, hear from them, all of a sudden, I have a much more of a burden to pray. It's easier for me to pray. And the same thing, praying for Israel, praying for the purposes of God. Uh, I can visualize if I've been there and I've been to the places that Jesus has taught, where he walked on the water, you know, where he, you know, where he uh, called his disciples, you know, where he died, where he resurrected, you know, where he was born in Bethlehem. All those things, it just gives me a visual um, picture of, of things. I can pray more and I can also understand the scriptures a lot more. I heard someone say it this way. If you go to Israel, it's like reading the scriptures in color as opposed to black and white. It's the place where our Lord and Savior spent his life, where he taught the principles of life, where he touched people with healing and compassion, where he walked as an example for all of us, where he died as a sacrifice, where he was resurrected, given his new life, you know, where he ascended into heaven. And, you know, it's easy for the first time you if someone goes to Israel, to be overwhelmed by all these things that, oh, this is where that happened. Or, oh, we're in Jericho today? Well, yeah, I've read about Jericho. You know, Bethlehem, you know, little town, you know, songs start coming to your mind, you know. It's, over to, it's easy to be overwhelmed by that. And, uh, and, and, and that's okay. That's good. And that's uh, natural. It's necessary. But praying 
is what God really wants to do. He wants us to really be praying. And all of us can do that, whether we've gone or not. Visiting, of course, is going to help. Visualize and understand more. So why pray? Because it's the focal point of what God wants to do. And it's also the focal point of what Satan wants to do. Let me explain. Let's just go back and just give a brief history of the purposes of God. If you start in the garden, Eden, remember we talked about that a few weeks ago. Uh, now, this is not in the scriptures, but it's Jewish tradition says that the Garden of Eden was really where Jerusalem is. And there's some understanding of why that can be, because after all, when the uh, tree of life returns to earth again in the new earth, where's it going to be? It's going to be in Jerusalem. So it's, it's probably, you know, possible. Kind of go a little bit later in, in Genesis, and we have the story of Abraham. And Abraham has, he's asked by God to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. And by the way, this was a son he had been praying for and waiting for for decades and decades. And he was asked to sacrifice. And so it says he went three days. He went, you know, uh, he went to a place called Mount Moriah. You know where Mount Moriah is? It's in the middle of Jerusalem. You know, it's where the it's where the temple later was built. And, you know, the story, you know, God all of a sudden stops him at the last moment and says, you know, now that I um, uh, see your heart, don't worry about that. And then he looks around and in the thickets, what's there? A lamb is stuck. And so he takes it out. He sacrifices the lamb instead. And he says, he calls this Jehovah Jireh. God provides. And that was prophetic that one day God was going to prov provide a lamb that was going to be sacrificed for all our sins. And by coincidence, it happened to be in the exact same place that Jesus is going to be sacrificed. Mount Moriah later became Mount Zion, you know. But not only that, there's other things. When the uh, children of Israel were coming out of Egypt, God promised them, he says, I'm going to take you to a promised land. And over and over and over, he says, and I will give you the land. I will give you the land. I mean, as we put it so many times, you can't just say that's allegorical. And of course, what was the land? It was that land of Israel, you know. And then once they get to the land, God starts saying, I want a people. And this is, gets back to that first purpose. He wants a people. He says, I've chosen you. In fact, on Mount Sinai, he says, you are my chosen people. And, uh, and he says, and I want my chosen people to possess this land that I give them. You know, and, uh, and once they possess the land, he then kind of says, and I want you to have a city called Jerusalem. And it's going to be the city of the great king. That's what, I, that's what Psalm 48 says. And so many of the Psalms, talk about the glory of Jerusalem, a lot of it is prophetic for the future. Well, if you kind of continue the story, you notice, you know that, that because of Israel's disobedience, their lack of faithfulness, God takes them out of the land. 
for 70 years. And then after 70 years, he says, I'm going to bring you back. And this time I want you to obey. You know, basically is what he's saying. So they come back. There's something about the land there. There's something about his chosen people there. And, um, and so they get reestablished. Then, several hundred years later, the Messiah that he's been promising for centuries and centuries, the first coming of Jesus. Jesus comes to earth. He was born. He talked. He died. He resurrected there in that particular land. Actually, most of it was right around Jerusalem. You know, uh, he was born five miles away from Jerusalem. I mean, really, it's the same city right now, you know. Uh, but God reveals himself in Jesus, in the land of Israel, Jerusalem. And he becomes what? The sacrifice lamb, you know, that was prophetically spoken of in the Passover and what happened with Abraham and Isaac. He becomes a sacrificed lamb. He dies for all our sins. And not only that, but he's resurrected. And where's, where's he resurrected? In Jerusalem as well. And then he's ascended into heaven. In where? In Jerusalem. The Mount of Olives, right outside. See, Jerusalem's been a focus all throughout the years. And the centuries. It's the focus of a lot of God's purposes. In fact, when Jesus ascended... The word the Lord comes forth and says in the same way that Jesus left and in the same spot, he's going to come back, you know. So uh, so and then we see God's second purpose begin, and that is the beginning of the church. All of a sudden, it's not just for Jews, but it's for all the nations and Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost becomes the place of what? the first fruits of the harvest of all the nations. And God arranged it that many of the nations happen to be there because of the feast time. And so he's there. You know, uh, it, it happens in Jerusalem again. But because people rejected Jesus as the Messiah, the people were scattered. Jews were scattered and also the church was scattered. And then for almost 2,000 years, God was working outside of Israel, not exclusively, but a lot. But the promises, the prophecies were still there that something was going to happen. And devout Christians throughout all the centuries have kind of recognized, yeah, but somehow there's some things that still have to happen. God still has to weave his purposes of Israel back in. One of his promises was that he was going to bring his people, the Jews, back to that land. And you know what happened? In the early 1900s, after almost 2,000 years, slowly they began to come back. And then in 1948, what happens? They actually have their own country again. And people are excited. And, and by the way, they're still pouring in Jews from around the world. Actually, whenever there's a crisis, it seems like more Jews kind of come in. Like one of the things that's happening with the war in Ukraine. About 200,000 Jews live in Ukraine. And they're expecting about 170,000 of them to make their way back to Jerusalem. While we were there, the airports were being filled with Ukrainian refugees. And they even, re they even lifted all the COVID restrictions. You don't have to have tests or anything. We didn't get that, you know. But so God's bringing things back. He's still at work bringing back his people. 
But more than that, the, the word of God says, it's not just that I'm going to bring him back to the land, but I'm also going to pour out spiritual revival. All of a sudden, they're going to see Jesus is the Messiah. And you know what? That's beginning to happen. And it's happening faster and faster every year. So it's kind of exciting what's happening. And so what we see, and this is beginning to happen, the purposes for the church, the purposes for Israel, we recognize the same Messiah. Jesus is Lord. And God is weaving the purpose together and he's preparing us as a bride. See, Israel itself isn't, the believer, believers who are part of Israel are not the bride and not just the church. It's all of us together and God's bringing that about. Now, there's still some other things that have to happen. One of the things, and some of this is already happening, there's a, there's, it's prophesied that there's going to be a harvest of all the nations, including Israel. Many, many millions of people are going to be coming into the kingdom of God. It's happening now. But not only that, but there's also prophetic words that a lot of the neighbors of Israel, you know, the Arabs, that a lot of them are going to come to know the Lord. Actually, Isaiah 19 talks about a highway from Egypt going all the way through Israel up into Assyria. And Egypt at that time represented most of North Africa. Assyria included Lebanon and Syria and Iraq and Iran, parts of Turkey, basically Saudi Arabia, really the whole Middle East. And prophetically, it says there's going to be a highway there. And all along the highway, people are going to be worshiping Jesus. They're going to be worshiping God. And, uh, and there's going to be a spiritual blessing taking place. And there's going to be blessing of Israel to Egypt and Egypt to Assyria and Assyria to, uh, you know, Israel. Is that happening yet? Not a whole lot, at least governments wise. But you know what? There are many there are thousands, hundreds of thousands of people coming to know the Lord in Egypt, in Syria, in Jordan, in Lebanon, in Iraq, Iran. Iran right now is the fastest growing church in the world. No other place is the church growing faster than Iran. So God's doing something. That's why it's exciting to me when I see what's happening in the world today. After 2,000 years, God is putting things together in a way preparing for his return. And you know what, brothers and sisters? He's called us to be a part of that, all of us. There's some other things that have to happen. There's the Great Tribulation. There's the Antichrist. And once again, Israel, Jerusalem, they kind of have a central role. And then Jesus is going to come back. And where is he going to come back to? To Jerusalem, the Mount of Olives. And then there's going to be the millennial reign of Christ. We've talked about this. It's going to be where? Based in Jerusalem. And then after that, there's going to be the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. And where is that going to be focused at? Same place. You see, Jerusalem has always been and will even be more so from possibly all the way from the garden to the new earth and new Jerusalem. It's going to be a focal point of what God is doing. 
And no wonder Satan has also made it a focal point for his kingdom of darkness. He wants to stop all this because it's almost like what happens there is like a is like a clock to his doom. And so he's fighting. And that's one reason why there's so many wars over there. That's why there's so much tension. There's terrorist attacks. Just while we were there, I think there are three terrorist attacks. You know, uh, two of them, they know we're ISIS. Because Satan doesn't want that to happen. He recognizes God is tying everything together. He's weaving it all together. And a lot of the purposes of God that have been going on for centuries and, and uh, thousands of years are all of a sudden becoming woven together. And that's why prayer is needed day and night, constantly. And God is waking up his people to participate in this very important part of God's plan. And a lot of it takes place on our knees on our knees. It's part of our call to be a house of prayer for all the nations because praying for Israel and what happens there is all kind of tied together with all the other nations. Prayer for Jerusalem, for Israel, it's part of our calling. And that's why if people ask, why pray for Jerusalem? What's the big deal? It is a big deal. God's purposes are being tied together and woven together. For those who can visit, I encourage you to do so. Uh, because it becomes a, a more effective, you become more effective in your prayer ministry. Yes, it costs a lot. Tel Aviv, the capital city, has now, as of January, the most expensive city in the world. And some of us can testify. That's probably true, you know. Israel is, I think, number six in the world, you know. Uh, but I do know this. God will provide financially if it makes you a better prayer warrior. And if that's part of your purpose, he will make sure of that. And, uh, I mean, actually, probably two visits would probably be better than one visit, you know, to really get. Because, like I said, the first visit, you're just so overwhelmed. This is where Jesus did this. This is, what, this is where this happened. This is where it happened. And you're so overwhelmed by that. And sometimes it takes, at least for me, a second and third time to really, spiritually, there's something happening here. But I think for all of us, whether we can go now or not, ask the Lord to give you a heart for prayer and understanding for Israel. I want to read those verses again. Psalm 122, verse 6. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. By the way, Jerusalem, it really means city of peace. That's prophetic. But did you know, just to show you the spiritual warfare, there is no city in human history that has been attacked more, there have been wars over, it's been torn down, it's been rebuilt, it's been torn down again, it's been sieged. No other city has had so much. It's the focal point of, spirit, of the spiritual war that's going on, isn't it? You know, but pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. If we love and are praying for Jerusalem, you know what I feel like, especially if you read the whole psalm, we will be 
we'll be blessed. And then in Isaiah 62, for Zion's sake, I will not keep, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not keep quiet until her righteousness goes forth like brightness and her salvation like a torch is burning. That's not happening yet. The nations will see your righteousness and all kings your glory. And then it goes on down. It says, you will be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord. And then it goes on and says, and as the bridegroom rejoices of the bride, so your God will rejoice over you. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have appointed watchmen, including people from Summit County, people here at Emmanuel Fellowship. All day and all night, they will never keep silent. You who remind the Lord, take no rest for yourselves and give him no rest until he establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Let's pray. Father, this morning we sang a song about opening our eyes to your love. Lord, we need our eyes open in so many areas. And Lord, in the, the things we've talked about very briefly this morning, we ask that you would open our eyes, that you would give us spiritual understanding, like you gave Daniel, you know, concerning the things at the end. Lord, we also want to thank you for letting us participate in such a beautiful part of what you're doing here on the earth today. Lord, we may not ever go, but Lord, we can be on our knees praying for your purposes to come about. And especially as they weave together in the land of Israel and the land of Jerusalem. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing. And again, thank you for letting us participate. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.